What gives you energy? When I ask a question like that, you might respond, well, what do you mean? I could mean what gets you ready for your workout in the morning. Or I could also mean what gives you fulfillment in life. And both of those are legitimate ways of speaking about receiving energy or being energized. But the answers could be a far apart from each other as a Red Bull and community service and volunteer work, right? They're two really different answers to the same question. And it really depends on what the meaning is when we're talking about energy. On our text this morning, Jesus and his disciples speak past each other a bit when the same kind of scenario occurs. The disciples say, you must be hungry. And Jesus says, I'm full. But the full that he's talking about isn't physical food. It's spiritual food. And if you remember part one of this sermon a couple weeks back, Jesus did the same thing with the woman at the well. He asks her for a drink. A physical drink, and then he kind of switches on her, doesn't he? He starts talking about this water that's welling up in her soul to eternal life. So he's clearly not talking about physical water. He's talking about spiritual water, that living water. And as always, Jesus is pressing us to go deeper and to confront the subterranean levels of our soul, of our being, that deep, deep place. Now, food and water may keep the physical body alive. We know that, right? But our souls require a different kind of fuel to be fulfilled in life have energy. And here Jesus will tell us plainly how we satisfy that hunger of our souls. Again, the text is John chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 30 through 45. We already hit verse 30 in the last time that we looked at the sermon, but I believe it's a good place to jump onto this morning for this second part of the woman at the well. Again, the text is John chapter 4, verse 30 through 45. These are the words of God. Let's give attention to them. They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see, the fields are white for the harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they said, or they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It's no longer because of what you've said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. After the two days had departed, he went for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. The word of God for his people. Let's pray. Father, as we come again to this maybe familiar text of Jesus meeting the woman at the well, we pray that you would 
Speak to us through your word this morning anew. We pray that you would till the soil of our hearts, that you would open our eyes and our ears to see your son Jesus clearly this morning, that we would see the purposes of Jesus as he talks to his disciples, as he talks to this woman. And Lord, we pray that you would talk to us this morning through your inspired word, the same Holy Spirit that inspired the word to be written on those pages. We pray that it would overcome us this morning, that we might hear your word preached this morning and the demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that my words would be edifying to you, and anything that I say that is not of your word would go in one ear and write out the other. So, Lord, we pray that you would lift us up this morning to see your son Jesus glorified. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, as you look at this, you can almost imagine the scene. The disciples arrive back from their journey into town to get lunch. This is what we talked about in the first sermon. They're all famished. They're very hungry. And Peter rips into his basket and starts to devour his gyro. They're they're Greek kind of Mediterranean background, so I'm just assuming that it's a gyro. Maybe not. Andrew grows impatiently and succumbs to his hunger pains because others from the town are coming to Jesus wanting to talk. He thinks in his mind, this could take forever. Jesus is always talking forever with these people. He's staying days with them. And then with mouth half full, John somehow manages to speak out of his cheek to tell Jesus to eat up before it's all gone. Right? That's kind of how I picture it in my my mind. But Jesus tells them that he's ate already. He says, I've already ate and I'm not hungry. And they all start to kind of scratch their heads wondering, why did we go into town in the first place? If Jesus has food, he just says he has food that you don't know about. So they start to look around. They say, did you give him food? Did you give him something to eat? I didn't give him anything to eat. Where's Jesus getting this food? And then Jesus clears up the confusion by saying, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Kind of an odd thing to say when people are talking about being hungry. Now, we don't know the reaction. We don't know exactly what they said. But if you gathered a group of men together today and they were all eager to dig into their lunch, maybe even on their lunch break, and then one of them says, nah, I'm good. I've got food that you don't know about. I'm eating the, the obeying of my father in heaven and says something kind of weird like that. The least that you would probably get is some eye rolls. That person would probably be kind of pushed out, right? He would become the weirdo. People would probably start calling him names, and this guy would be an odd duck, right? This, this is the weirdo that says that kind of thing. And I'd like to stop this morning and just kind of ponder why. Why is that so weird for someone to kind of speak in that parabolic and metaphorical way? Why is that guy the weirdo when he wants to go a little bit deeper and call people to a deeper meaning? Because when Jesus says this, he's clearly doing that, isn't isn't he? He's calling them into a deeper meaning. But if people were to do that today in your circles, that would be very odd. And I want to kind of look at that and wonder why that is by looking at three things this morning. I want to ask the what, the why, and the where. The what is, what is this spiritual food? That Jesus is talking about. What does he mean by spiritual food? And why is it less delectable in our minds, we might say? Why is it less tasty? Why is that spiritual food less attractive to us? And where do we find it? Where do we find this spiritual food that Jesus is talking about? So let's begin by asking, what is the spiritual food? Well, in verse 34, he gives us a very clear statement of what he's talking about. He says, my food is to do the will of God. And to accomplish his work. And I'd like to kind of flesh that out a little bit. What exactly does that mean? I'd like to spread it out a little bit and make it a little bit more broad by saying this is the gospel, the good news lived or we might say incarnated. 
Right? It's kind of lived out the way that the, the work of God is being lived out, accomplishing his work, doing the will of God. This is God's word, his gospel being lived out. And you see this in many places where scripture talks about the gospel or the word of God as food. Proverbs says, gracious words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. So there's a metaphor being uh, used here. Peter calls the gospel pure spiritual milk. So you kind of get this idea of nourishment. We need this nourishment that comes from God's word. Paul calls it meat. He talks about the meat of the gospel. He says, I don't even want the spiritual milk. I want to go a little bit even deeper, and I want you guys to eat this meat. And then Jesus even says, man does not live by bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We might say the gospel. We live by that. That is our spiritual food. So the question is, is where do we find the gospel in this passage? Where do we find people living out the gospel or retelling the gospel in this passage? Well, if you would look with me at verse 39, what it says. It says in verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed. So they're trusting, they're believing, they have faith in him. Why? Because of the word or the woman's testimony. Because of the woman's testimony. And what was that testimony? He told me all that I ever did. Think about that. What, what that means, the implications of they, – they, they believed because of her testimony that here's a man that told me all that I ever did. <clears throat> now you may have heard before that you can't understand the gospel, the good news, until you understand the bad news. So this is this woman's way of retelling the gospel, living into the gospel, saying, I was this. There's the bad news. But the good news is, is Jesus knows that, he sees that, and yet he still welcomes me to him. This is the good news that she is bringing forth. And because of her testimony and her retelling that, they believed. Now you see it in another place in this text. In verse 41, it says this. It says, and many more believed, they trusted in, what they, they, they believed because of his word. Referring to Jesus. What Jesus must have said something beyond what the woman said that also caused even more people to believe. So he's probably continuing to speak about this radical grace of God towards sinners. He's telling people the good news of people being forgiven of their sins and trusting in Jesus and having eternal life. This very simple gospel message. And you can see these two things pieced together to get kind of a gospel formula. In verse 42, it says this. It says, and they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we ourselves have, or we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. So they conclude because of what the woman has said and what Jesus has said that Jesus is the Savior of the world. So it's her testimony plus his word equals the Savior of the world, this radical message of the gospel. So let me ask again, what is this spiritual food? Well, it's, it's seeing the gospel for its full glory, which is God saving sinners, and then responding by being obedient to the call to build the kingdom through the power of God. Of the gospel. It's living the gospel out. And when Paul says the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, we might want to play with the words a little bit just to, to help us get a better understanding of what he's talking about. That, uh, there, sometimes when we memorize scriptures, we can forget what the words even mean because we just kind of run through them. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We might even say it like this. The gospel is the, the energy of God unto salvation. It's that thing that gives us that, that, that power, that energy, that, that force to go and live out the good news. The gospel is the spiritual energy that we tap into to fuel ourselves and to offer to others to live out the Christian life. 
Jeremiah uh, speaks of it this way. Jeremiah 15, 16, he says, your words, we might say the gospel was found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and a delight to my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, O God of hosts. So Jeremiah speaks of this spiritual food in the same sense that I spoke of it in the beginning. That kind of question, what gives you energy, could mean what gives you fulfillment in life. And Jeremiah speaks of God's word, the gospel, in that way. It brings him joy. It brings him delight. It fulfills him. It gives him what he needs deep down in his soul, and it's a delight to him. It energizes him. It fulfills his soul. So church, if you're feeling spiritually unfulfilled, it might be be because you haven't had a bite to eat spiritually in a while. You ever feel empty spiritually? Kind of like you haven't had anything to eat spiritually? This is, this is what I'm talking about here. We can get into a place where we haven't ate spiritually. We haven't feasted on the goodness of the gospel that gives us that energy, that nourishment that we need to live out the Christian life. And what this really comes to is asking this question. If, if we believe that the gospel is true, that it gives us fulfillment, that it's good, it's delightful, the real question is, is why is this spiritual food less delectable in our minds so often? Why, why is it that we still continue to pick the bad thing over the good thing? And maybe even a, a simpler way to say this, why do we still sin? If we know the gospel's true, why do we still sin? This is how Hebrews kind of puts it. I'm going to borrow some language. We, we might ask it like this. How can we who have tasted of the, of the goodness of the word of God, the powers of the age to come, and still choose spiritual garbage? That's my language, not Hebrews. How can we choose spiritual garbage over spiritual steak? Why aren't we eating the steak every time is the real question. Why do we sin? Well, we sin because sin is a lie, and we believe that lie. It's, it's very simple, but also very complicated. right? We, we know that intellectually, but in the moment, it is so easy to give in to the lie. Why? Because the lie promises something really big. right? It gives a great promise, but doesn't deliver. right? It doesn't hold true. It doesn't give that satisfaction that it promises. Sin lies to us saying you're going to feel great when you do this. And you might for that quick, but it doesn't take that much longer to where you're also feeling way lower than you thought you even were before. Right? It, it takes you to even deeper levels than you thought that you could go. Have you ever been enticed into sin feeling in the moment like this is going to be the best thing in the world? I cannot wait to do this. I know it's wrong, but you know what? This is going to really deliver. It's going to make me feel great. And as soon as you do it, you feel gross. You feel empty. And you feel like you can't get any nastier, right? That's, that's how sin usually feels. And it feels like this because you've just believed a lie. It doesn't feel good to be lied to, does it? It hurts. It's painful. It makes you feel gross just like it does when you eat way too much of junk food, right? It gives you that same kind of result, doesn't it? Right? You, you dig into that. You eat a whole box of Oreos. Has anyone in here ever ate a whole box of Oreos? I've I've done this before. It's not a good idea. It, it tastes really good for about that long, and then you wake up the next morning with awful, awful pains in your stomach because who knows what's in an Oreo. But, but we, we believe in the moment this, this is going to deliver. This is going to be what I need. I'm really stressed. I'm really, uh, I'm really having a hard time right now, and if I just eat this whole box of Oreos and veg out on Netflix, it's going to be great. It, it doesn't, though. But yet we still do it. You obviously know that I have a problem with Oreos now. But, uh, so we do this because we've just, in, in a real sense, we've lost a battle. 
the, the invisible rulers, the way this is the way Paul talks about it, the invisible rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, right? All those invisible things, they just won. They didn't win the, the, the war, but they did win a small battle. You just kind of lost in a real sense. You're able to get back up, but you just tripped. You fell down. You're not destroyed, but you did just trip up. And you did because you believed a lie. You believed that it would deliver something that it couldn't do. And what you did is you tripped up on reality. You thought that if you, if you did this, that there would be a real result, and there wasn't. You believed a false reality. So the question is, is how do we stop believing false realities? How do we stop believing lives, which in this text would be the equivalent to eating spiritual garbage, and start eating the good spiritual food? How do we eat the steak? Well, John Piper once said, he says things much better than I normally can, so I like to quote him. He says, the only way the power of sin can be broken is by the presence and the promise of a superior pleasure. The presence and the promise of a superior pleasure. The, the problem is simple. We often choose to pass up on the good spiritual food because we believe in that moment that passing up on a spiritual meal will not satisfy as much as indulging in a physical meal. Right? Whether or not it's actually even a physical meal, it could be any kind of thing. But we often want to live in the flesh rather than living in the spirit. Right? It's a lot easier to say, I know this delivers, but you know that it delivers very short-term promises. It doesn't give that long satisfaction, that well springing up for eternal life that Jesus talked to that woman at the well about, where she wouldn't have to keep going back. You know it doesn't deliver that, but yet we keep doing it. It's because we believe the lie rather than the believing the gospel. So the only way to break the cycle, and I do want to emphasize only, uh, the only way to break this cycle with sin is to believe the promise of the gospel. That's the only way. It's very simple. That's not a complicated formula, but that's the truth of it. You must believe it. Otherwise, you are going to act out in believing the lie. You're going to live in that false reality. So if you believe, like Jeremiah, that the spiritual food of doing good and accomplishing the will of God is a joy and delight to your heart, then you will not choose to pass on the meal. If you actually believe, like Jeremiah does, that it's good, that it's actually going to get fulfillment, then you're going to live into that. You're going to actually be a gospel person. You're going to act like the gospel. You're going to act like Jesus. You're going to actually feast on that rather than the garbage. Again, simple, but also very hard to do in the moment because it's hard to believe something that's farther out, isn't it? It's hard to believe that eating a well-balanced diet is actually going to bring you fulfillment rather than eating the junk food. But it's the truth. Everyone here would acknowledge, right, that, that a, a well-balanced diet, eating your veggies and your, and your meats and, and all of that, that balance, that will do you well. And yet, no one in here is going to do that perfectly. You're going to splurge. You're going to eat the junk food. Why? Because it delivers a short, quick, little satisfaction. And yet, it's worth it to us in the moment. And the only way to overcome that is actually to believe the truth. So, the question now is, where is the spiritual food? How do we find this spiritual food that Jesus talks about in this passage? And what I want you to do is I want you to think about this more of as an opportunity than location. When we think about where, what do I mean by where? Well, uh, uh, when spiritual food is served, I want you to be able to say, oh, there it is. That, that's the spiritual food right there. That's what I mean by where. I want you to be able to locate it in that sense, seeing that there's an opportunity and saying, there it is, rather than saying, no, spiritual food is only in the church. 
in this building. I want you to be able to find it and spot it anywhere it is because it can be anywhere. So seeing it as opportunity actually changes our thinking about how we can live out our lives in the gospel. So consider the scene in this text. The disciples just came from the town and returned with physical food while the woman went into the town to feast on spiritual food. You're going to get this picture of this crossroads where they're going into town to get the physical food and they come back to Jesus and she's crossing ways with them, feasting on the spiritual food. She's just talked to Jesus about that well springing up to eternal life. She's dropped her water jug and she's feasting on something else. So there's a physical and a spiritual reality that kind of crosses ways here. And the crossing of ways is a picture of two realities of indulgence. The woman left the physical water because she was satisfied. The disciples left the spiritual food in town because they were physically hungry, and we might say unsatisfied. They just wanted to eat. They just wanted lunch. Right? That's what they were about. And then in verse 35, Jesus says, Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. Verse 35, look at it. Just, just think about what Jesus is doing here, getting them to kind of wake up and realize what's, what's going on. Now, let me ask. He says, Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. And see that the fields are white for the harvest. Now, where do you think he told them to look? I think he actually had a physical looking in mind. I don't think right here he's actually taking them to a a deeper metaphysical reality, a spiritual reality. I think he's looking out at the field. If you look at the geography of where Jacob's well was, where all this is taking place, and where Sychar, I believe is the name of that Samaritan town was, there was a field in between there. And he says, look, look at the field. It's white for the harvest. And many commentators say that what he's doing there is actually making a reference to the Samaritans who are coming out of the town. Remember, that's why I chose to start in verse 30. It says they were all coming to them. So picture the scene of Jesus standing there with his disciples, looking out towards the town, and there's a field there, and all these white-robed Samaritans are coming out of the town. Looks like a crop of people is what it kind of looks like. And Jesus says, look up. The harvest is there. That's what I'm talking about. That's the opportunity that you're missing on. They're apparently not paying attention to the spiritual realities at place. They're digging into their lunch, and Jesus wants them to dig into their souls. Right? They're saying, oh, we got to eat. You're, you're really hungry. I'm really hungry. we just got to make sure we get this meal. And Jesus says, is that really what you're focused on? Is that really what you're worried about? Is that what the biggest matter is right now? So he's essentially saying that they just left a spiritual feast of the gospel proclamation in that town. And that woman that they just crossed ways with that they thought was questionable, if you remember that, they thought that this woman is questionable. And here she is. She just went into the town and told a ton of people about Jesus. She's feasting on the gospel and showing everyone else that there's a feast. Come get it. And they're coming to Jesus. And here here Jesus is saying, wake up, guys. There's something really big happening. A lot of people are coming here to listen to what the gospel says. And all you care about is eating, indulging in the flesh. And we do this in all kinds of ways, don't we? We kind of look at them and say, idiots, right? That's, that's what we always think. When we see the disciples, we just think, how stupid can you be? But that's us so often. It's me. We, we do this, and it, it can be all kinds of things. It doesn't even have to be with people in evangelization. It can be all kinds of things where we just skip opportunities because we just want to keep on cruising along, living our lives unto ourselves. We want to do what we want to do, and we don't really care about other people. We don't care about the spiritual realities at play. We don't even care about our souls sometimes. We just care about what feels good. And Jesus says, wake up. Realize what you're doing. Realize what you're eating right now. So the point is, is that life presents spiritual opportunities which we should delight in taking. 
Jesus wants this to be our joy. He wants us to actually get excited about this. That's why he says that the the labor and the harvester, they're rejoicing together. This is a fun endeavor. Living a gospel life is actually exciting. So we should hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's the language that Jesus uses in the Beatitudes. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, so much so that we would rather skip a physical meal than pass on the spiritual meal of doing the will of God and accomplishing his work. So standing before the disciples was a group of people ripe for the harvest, and all they can think about is, Jesus, are you hungry? Right? That's all they care about. They're asking the wrong questions. And Jesus is urging them and is urging you in your ordinary moments of life to look up or wake up, look around, and assess what's going on. Is there an opportunity that you're passing up? Are you, is there a harvest that's ripe that you're just ready to cruise on over and forget about? Do you have uh, too much going on to actually be focused on what God is wanting you to do, to wanting you to eat? Has, has he prepared a meal for you? And you're saying, no thanks. I've, I've got my own. I've made my own food. I've made my own bed, and I'm going to lie in it. Right? I've got, got this on my own, Jesus. I don't need you. I'll take care of myself. Now, we've all in this room said before, I'm hungry. Right? Every one of you have said that at some point. And you meant that in a physical way, but there's a reality that, to where we can get spiritually hungry and not even realize what's going on. You know how a child starts acting out all the time? They're, they're getting really cranky, and they're hungry is the problem. But they don't have the language to know this. Sometimes that's us. Have you ever noticed yourself acting out in sin, doing all kinds of things that you can't even make sense of? You just don't feel right. You know, something's off, but you're not spiritually mature in the moment to just say, wait a second. Go through the list. Am I hungry? Could that be it? Right? Is there a problem where I just haven't ate? I just haven't done what I ordinarily should do. And if I was mature enough to know this, I would just stop. I'd feast. I'd eat for a minute. And I'd spiritually be able to move forward. And I wouldn't be as cranky. I wouldn't feel as awful all the time. Right? That's how we get sometimes. We, we, we forget that there's a spiritual reality to our existence. We, we are beings that need spiritually fed. And we can just cruise on through life thinking, well, all I need to do is actually eat physical food and I'll be fine. But we will starve if we don't feast on the gospel. Maybe we're just spiritually hangry. Right? When you're acting out. We, 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 know, we have this language right, of being hangry where you're just hungry and you start to get angrier than normal. You're extra frustrated. This can happen spiritually as well. So think about your life. There's all kinds of different examples, but maybe if you're at work, there's that odd person that keeps trying to talk to you on your lunch break, and they're just really annoying to you, and you're just frustrated. You're agitated by them, and and you just want to eat your sandwich, but they're like, hey, have you thought about this? And you're like, why do you want to talk about that right now? But but they're actually searching for something. They're hungry too, and, and you're hungry, and you just don't even realize it, and you're just bouncing off of them when you should be actually feeding each other. You, you could have a moment of communion right there from one Christian to, to maybe even an unbeliever and sharing a spiritual reality that would actually satisfy both of your souls, but you're too self-indulgent at the time. And I, that's, a, that's a strong way of putting it, but that's the reality. We, we just want to do what we want to do, and, and we don't want to be bothered by anyone else, but sometimes that's actually what we need. We need to be bothered by other people because it wakes us up to the reality that everyone is in need. Right? They have needs, I have needs, and sometimes just meeting those needs actually brings the satisfaction and the fulfillment to both parties that we both need. And that's how the gospel works. It snowballs, doesn't it? That's how we live into it, how we accomplish the will and the work of God. That's kingdom living. So before we close, I want to just ask you to consider how actually easy this is. We can think that it can be really complicated, but it's not. We often think that if, if there's going to be any harvest, and the harvest can be anything. It's not just evangelization. That's what this is about here. Gospel proclamation, telling people about Jesus and them getting saved. It's not just that. 
It can be all kinds of things. But we often think that if any harvest will come, that we've got to put in a ton of work. You've got to put in all kinds of labor. And if anything good is going to come of this, it's going to take weeks. It's going to take even months. If you're going to get someone to lead them to the Lord, I don't have time for that on my lunch break. That's going to take months. And today's not the day. right? That's kind of how we think. That that person won't come to Christ with one conversation. We think. Now Jesus actually points out this flaw of thinking in verse 35. He, He essentially says, you think you sow and then harvest is four months out. But look, it's right there. Hey, disciples, you didn't do anything. You didn't labor. But the harvest is right there. Are you going to pick it or not? Are you going to reap what someone else has sown? And that's the ease of the gospel living that Jesus is trying to wake us up to. That someone else actually might have already put in the hard work for you, and all you've got to do is just take it. Just, just reap. And it's not a, a, kind of, a kind of thing where you're taking it from the other person. It's actually something that you can both rejoice in. That's why Jesus says that uh, the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. Right? You're not going to do it all. You can't do everything. And this is how the body of Christ works together. One person sows and another person reaps. You all put in the work. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, who then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. God gave the growth. He's the one that gives that energy, we might say, that nutrients that we need. He's the one that actually brings about the life. We can't do it on our own. All we can do is be servants. We can water. We can do our part. We can take those opportunities. And if we don't, we're actually skipping on something that we need. It's the spiritual meal. So according to Paul, when it comes to this spiritual meal, we should be much less concerned about our work and our neighbor's work and who does the who does what. Because both the planter and the water are one, Paul says. And it's God that gives the growth. And that growth comes through the power of the gospel. And that's why in verse 36 it, it shows that they're rejoicing together. Again, this, this gospel message that energizes the believer to carry out the works of God. And, and when we live into that, when you realize that your creator... The one who made you, knows all about you, told you everything you ever did, and still loves you, still forgives you. That actually changes who you are as a person. The gospel really does change us from one degree of glory to the next. We will be changed through confronting and entering into the gospel just like this woman was. Remember, she was shameful. She was guilty. She was standing before a savior that knew all her garbage, and yet he accepted her. And that changed her. She ran out telling them, telling the people that she used to hide from, he told me all that I ever did. He told me all my garbage. He told me all my bad news. And that changed how she lived. Why? Because you are what you eat. You are what you eat. And in that day, she ate the gospel rather than shame and condemnation. She went from hiding her face to showing her face and sharing her testimony, saying, here's my garbage world. Guess what? Jesus cleans it up. Jesus makes it better. So living into the gospel transformed her and many others. This is that many believe because of her testimony and the word of Jesus. And I'm sure Jesus said the same thing that he told her. I know all your junk. I know all your garbage. And yet, I forgive you. That, that message of radical grace transforms you and it transforms the world. And that's how God is actually doing his kingdom work. So church, I hope you see now that the, the spiritual food that uh, energized Christ in this woman is the feast of the gospel. And it's lived out by doing the will of God and accomplishing his kingdom work that is always giving us opportunity to take a spiritual bite. It's all around you. You just have to wake up and look around. And when those moments come, we will only be able to seize that moment. How? By believing the gospel. 
not believing the lie, just trusting that it's true, that that it's more true than the lie of self-satisfaction. And it's only when every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is more delicious to us than than bread and the food that we eat every day, that the power of God is going to come upon us to where we can say no to sin. It's only then. It's very simple. And yet, all we have to do is believe. Amen? Let's pray.